All right, so thank you so much for joining us on Coach's Corner. My name is Jeremiah Rabel. I'm an effectiveness coach for the uh, Alberta Northwest Territories District of the POC. I'm joined by my fellow coaches, Bob Jones and John Alveston, also effectiveness coaches. Guys, welcome. It's good to be here. Yeah, hello. Awesome. Listen, I want to talk today about leadership development. Leadership development. How do pastors develop the leader's around them. And I want to just get your take right now. Um, and, uh, you know, scorecard time, report card time. How do you think most pastors in churches across Canada do in terms of leadership development? Uh, are they A's, B's, C's? And what does that look like currently right now? John, why don't you talk to me about what you're seeing in churches uh, regarding leadership development currently? Currently, I would say that uh, the vast majority of pastors struggle with this. And uh, the way you can see the vast majority of pastors struggle with this is where the vast majority of churches get stuck. Um, an overwhelming majority of churches get stuck in that attendance range between 50 and maybe 150. And in visiting church after church after church after church, there is a common denominator that causes churches to get plateaued at that specific area. And it's all about leadership development. Uh, so the very fact that the vast majority of churches are stuck here just shows that the vast majority of pastors are stuck right at that particular point. Bob, what are some of the factors that contribute to that, that pastors don't develop other leaders? Uh, largely because uh, when a pastor does it himself or herself, uh, it works. It works for them. Uh, they're at the level that uh, is comfortable for them. And it's way easier to manage yourself than it is to manage other people. Uh, like when you delegate responsibility, now you got to follow up. And if they don't follow through, uh, now you've got an issue that you didn't have before because you did it yourself, right? So it's very rewarding. When you do it yourself, it's very affirming. You know, there's also a sense of a you know, possible guilt that people as pastors think they should be doing this. And so if they don't do it, they're, they're shirking their responsibility. They're not really being a good shepherd. Um, and other people can make them feel that way. If you're in a church that has a long history and there's a tradition of a chaplain shepherd as the pastor, um, that's what people expect. And when people don't get what they expect, then they start to inspect. And that's not always um, a, a pleasant experience. And then you get criticism. So it's far easier to do it on your own. What are some of the excuses that we hear pastors making as to why they can't develop leaders? Well, I think uh, people, pastors feel responsible, really, for what happens in their church. And um, sometimes they are so busy doing everything that they don't have time to carve out time to train another leader. Because that does take time. And unless they prioritize that, then that's not going to be an outcome in terms of how they conduct the leadership in their church. Just even sometimes pastors being trained. That's what you can come out of Bible college or seminary experiencing, uh, that you were trained to oversee the church, uh, to be there, to show up, to be the, the caregiver. Uh, we call um, care in churches pastoral care. And I think one of the ways that you can start is change the language in your church. Uh, don't call it pastoral care. Call it congregational care. Congregation can care for themselves. They can be trained uh, and you know, hospital visitation, shut-in visitation, 
anything that's caring can be done by the congregation, not just the pastor. Yeah, well, what I see here is sometimes we have this language of growth barriers that, that churches face. And the growth barrier between 50 and 150 is more like a growth fortress, uh, which is why so many churches are stuck here. And the reasons why they're stuck here, are, I think, are many. Um, I think some of the reasons why we're stuck here are psychological, that maybe a pastor has a need to be needed. So unless people are depending on me, I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I don't feel fulfilled. And this might be unconscious, but I'm just doing ministry so that people are always depending on me. That will not only affect how I do ministry and get my church stuck, but it actually trains my congregation that this is the way it should be. So long after I'm dead and gone, my successors are walking into this environment and these expectations that I created. And maybe I move on to a Bible school and I'm raising up young pastors and I'm teaching them um, with this same kind of concept. So it becomes sort of a tradition. Now, maybe it's a, not a need to be needed, but it's a need to be liked. So if I'm a pastor and I need to have everybody like me, I need that affirmation, and I walk into a church that used to be pastored by a pastor who needed to be needed, I'm going to start conforming to that because that's the expectation people have. Um, maybe I'm a perfectionist and I just like doing things myself. You know, as Bob says, quite frankly, it can be often easier. And so maybe that's the reason why I've been doing everything and then training my congregation and maybe teaching younger pastors. So you, you have a whole bunch of these things that are, are, are based on our own sort of psychological issues, but then it gets reflected in our Bible schools and how we're training pastors, how we're mentoring young pastors, how we're setting up congregational expectations. So we've created this whole system from this. And even if a pastor starts to recognize that, hey, this doesn't seem to be healthy, we haven't, as Bible schools and denominations and pastors and mentors, we haven't really done a good job showing people, well, how do you raise up leaders? So they hear this talk, raise up leaders, raise up, raise up leaders, raise up leaders, but no one's shown them how. And so the pastors don't have the tools in the toolbox to try to accomplish this job, even though they recognize there's something stuck here. So you've got all of these different reasons that build this barrier into this massive fortress, which quite frankly, 90% of pastors and 90% of churches do not break through this. Um, it's a really, really serious issue. One of the main excuses that I hear is that, well, I don't have any leaders around me. I don't have any potential leaders. How do you identify the leaders that are around you? Uh, it, it really takes one to know one, right? So uh, the ability to see within yourself qualities um, that, that may be fine-tuned for yourself to become a leader. Because I think as you focus on your own pastoring or your own leading, you'll then begin to see some formative qualities in others. Um, whatever age they are, you'll begin to see those. So it's kind of like if you're looking to buy a white car, everybody's driving a white car because that's all you see. And when you start to look at leadership uh, qualities, you begin to see them in people you didn't see them in before. So even simply just identifying some of the qualities of what make up a leader can surface um, the visibility of those qualities in someone else um, that wasn't recognized before. So one of the other ways too is even just the whole sense of the culture um, of building into a church, the culture where everyone is called to serve, that everyone can be a leader, that leaders are not born, they're made, and that everyone has the opportunity uh, at some level 
to be leading something. And so therefore you need to be supported and equipped, mentored. Yeah, I think uh, when we're trying to build leaders, we just need to do kind of what Jesus did and start with who's available and willing right then and there. Um, I don't get the slightest impression in reading the gospels that when Jesus came across these fishermen, Peter, James, and John, that somehow these guys were leaders. Yeah. Nevertheless, after a few years, we see these guys becoming lions and tigers in the kingdom of God um, when it comes to leadership and leading thousands. You know, that didn't happen overnight. And quite frankly, God has already given you and your congregation people with this kind of potential. Now, what I see Jesus doing when he's discipling the disciples is he just starts with the willing. So who in your congregation is willing to step up and volunteer? That's your, your raw material. And then it's going to be sort of what Jesus did is there's going to be a little bit of teaching. There's going to be a little bit of encouragement, but then opportunities to actually get started. So nobody learns to swim by reading a book about swimming. Uh, nobody learns to ride a bicycle by watching a video on riding bikes. If you want to learn how to swim, you want, you want to learn how to ride a bike. You have to get in the water. You have to get on the bike. Yeah. So if you want to teach somebody to lead, you have to give them an opportunity. If you're waiting till they're ready first, they're never going to be ready because the way you get ready is by leading. So start with something small, a very small team, maybe just one other person, but you need to deliberately use just the, the life of the church you have right now to raise up leaders. So you've got ushers, you've got greeters, you've got Sunday school teachers, you've got a worship team, you might have a cleanup team, you might have a catering team, like I don't know. Um, but you already have these kinds of teams. You already have these opportunities to raise up leaders. Uh, you should be using the volunteer opportunities that you have right now um, to start to build this. That's so good, John. And I imagine that every person listening to this, every pastor, has also had someone come to them at some time with a great idea for a new ministry. Uh, they're very motivated with that. And then that's where a critical moment comes in, because if the pastor then says to that person, hey, um, this is your idea, great, uh, I'd love to have you start that ministry. And if the person then says, oh, I can't do that, pastor, I, I can't lead that, uh, that becomes a critical moment because a pastor then is faced with the idea, well, I could do it myself because it is so important, or I could continue to encourage that person. They may say initially, no, I can't do it. But if there's a continual leaning back in, I've seen over and over again that that person will then stand up and uh, begin to take responsibility. I think the other part is calling out leadership in people. You, you see it in them and, and you speak into their lives and you say, I know you can do this and, and I will support you. I will resource you. I'm going to champion you. I'll be there with you. I'll walk with you. Um, and it's been, I think that's one of the awesome things about being a pastor is seeing people kind of just flourish and rise up and become who God calls them to be. That's exciting. I think it's important to understand that we as pastors, that when we give somebody a leadership opportunity, that we don't abandon them. Now, this is a mistake that, that I made in my ministry in years past, um, where I treated people like bullets from the gun, and it was just fire and forget. I assigned you a task, you're on your own now. 
where we should be treating people like guided missiles, that you're with them all the way to their target. When you've got a small group leader and you've given them a task of leading a small group, check in on them on regular intervals. And when you check in, it's not checking in like some sort of angry teacher or principal to make sure they're doing a good job. No, it's checking in as a coach, as a fan, as a supporter, um, and giving that coaching and support and that guidance for them to get better and better and better. And yeah, sometimes you're gonna challenge them to do um, more. Sometimes you're gonna challenge them to, to read more and develop more. Sometimes you're gonna try to inspire them. And I think that's, that's a regular part of volunteer management should be anyways, is whatever task we've given somebody, we need to fairly regularly connect that task to the purpose of the church. Um, one of the things that I've said in the past is, we don't use people to accomplish tasks. We use tasks to develop people. So when we give somebody something, we need to make sure that they understand the role that task plays in the Great Commission. So for example, the cleanup crew, okay? It's very hard for somebody who's cleaning up messes to see how they're changing lives for the kingdom of God. And because they don't see that, quite frankly, it can be hard to stay motivated to do that. But if you can connect that job to the kingdom, then it makes a lot more sense. So with the cleanup crew specifically, one of the top five reasons why first-time visitors will not return to a church is because of dirty bathrooms. Seriously, dirty bathrooms causes people to miss out on the gospel. So that means when somebody cleans a dirty bathroom and makes that kind of difference, and quite frankly, no one in the congregation will ever make a comment about a clean bathroom. Nobody's going to notice a clean bathroom. But when someone cleans that bathroom, literally more people will come to that church, more people will hear the gospel, more people will get saved. When the people who are on the cleanup crew realize that when we do this task, lives are going to be changed, lives are going to be transformed, um, that is going to enable them and empower them emotionally and spiritually to continue on their task. So when we give coaching and support, yes, we need to give techniques and strategies and ways to get better, but we also need to, to put sort of spiritual fuel in their jets and connect them to the mission so they feel inspired to do what they're doing. Instead of, yes, hey, well, I gave somebody a job or I gave somebody permission to do something um, and let them go. Yeah, that's a much, much weaker model and you're gonna lose a lot of your leaders um, when you do that. But when you're coaching them and supporting them and giving that moral support, that makes a massive difference. One of the tools that we often uh, teach in the churches that we visit is this idea of developing a multi-staff volunteer team. So, you know, churches would come and uh, churches have a single pastor that's that's working there. And we say, okay, now it's time to develop a, a staff team around you. So that would be your worship leader, your hospitality coordinator, your connections coordinator, your your children's director, your youth director, you know, your small groups, you look at all the areas of the church, you know, even care, and you begin to kind of set them up as, as quote unquote staff positions that you then begin to seek to fill. And the idea being that, you know, obviously you won't be able to fill them all right away, but you're starting to seek to fill that staff team. This becomes your leadership team. This isn't your board. Okay, this is your, your leadership team. And you meet with them once a month. 
you um uh, you know and you go through things like you know calendar and vision and direction and you meet also with each staff member individually and you talk about goals right like evangelism goals and growth goals and you know and you hold them accountable to that and the idea being is that you treat these congregants these volunteers as if they were your pastoral staff you're developing developing them you're leading them you're guiding them and they begin to take on the you know more responsibility in the church as large and as john talked about the barriers or the fortress sometimes that you hit this is the key piece that moves you beyond that is that now you have this leadership team in place that are making decisions, that are able to lead and, and develop other leaders as a part of the ministries that they're in. So your, you know, your children's ministry leader isn't just doing the work, but they are developing other children's ministry leaders and on and on it goes. So pastor, if you want to uh, break that growth barrier, you want to develop leaders around you, our best advice is to put together a staff volunteer team. I remember when I was pastoring smaller churches by myself in solo roles, you know, I would look with a little bit of envy at pastors of bigger churches, and I would see them with this huge team that I didn't have, you know, and I'd say, yeah, well, I bet I could grow my church too if I had a youth pastor, children's pastor, worship pastor, assimilation pastor, small group pastor, um, but I don't. Well, the thing is, if that's what you're thinking, you're not wrong. You can grow your church if you have a youth pastor, children's pastor, and you have this whole team. But what I didn't realize is that you don't have to have a pile of money to do that. We need to unhook the idea of staff with the idea of paycheck in our minds, that it's possible to have a volunteer staff. You can have sort of this mega church power of this multi-staff team put into a small church. So even a small church of 50 people you can have somebody on your volunteer staff who's in charge of youth. You can have your volunteer children's pastor. You can have your volunteer worship pastor. And you can lead that staff as if they're a staff. Now, your staff meetings won't likely be every week, but every month, because they are volunteers and they have other jobs. But quite frankly, when you're a small church, the amount of people they have to work with is quite a bit smaller. So it's going to be manageable to do with volunteers. But yeah, you can have that mega church power activated in the small church which is just going to unleash so much potential um, for you to get through that uh, 100 growth barrier. And I so agree with you, John, because I got to live that out. Uh, the opportunity to be in a small church and rally up volunteer teams. And I love the use that you've made of the word teams because it helps pastors think of themselves as a coach. Uh, the, the Bible uses the word shepherd a lot, but and you don't find the word coach in the Bible. But uh, being a coach really is a biblical concept. And you come alongside your team members, you draw them together, and you're able to call them to the challenge and to draw things out of them that they may not necessarily do on their own or believe they could even do on their own. Uh, teams work so well, and I think for pastors to see themselves as coaches um, is, is a great way to envision themselves. Ken Blanchard and Don Shula wrote a book called Everyone's a Coach. It's a great book to have, kind of as a good compliment to John Maxwell's book, um, uh, develop the leaders around you. Um, if you have those two books, you're all set for a good resource uh, to build your team. I'm really compelled by Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 11. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There has to be a conviction here on this passage, because if you're not convicted that the reason why God gave pastors to the church is to equip the people for good works, then you're just not going to do it. You're going to find ways to do it yourself. You're going to find ways to, to not step out, because quite frankly, you're not convicted on this passage of scripture. It's like if I said to you, hey, you can grow your church, but you know, you can't preach the authority of scripture. Well, you won't do it because you're convicted <laughs> that scripture is authoritative. If I told you, oh, you can grow your church, but you can't preach Christ as the only way, the truth of life. Well, you wouldn't do it. Well, why do we think as pastors, it's okay for us to pastor and not be convicted on Ephesians 4? Absolutely. Ephesians 4 um, unleashes so much power in the local church um, that our job description given to us by God is to equip people for good works. What we've done instead is a substitute. Uh, instead of equipping people for good works, we're doing good works instead of the people. And when that's been our pattern, I mean, and we get payoff for that. You know, we, we get the applause of the crowds. Um, there's plenty of congregations who will cheer you on, dance, monkey, dance. But that's not our job description. And that is not what we're going to be measured and judged on as being successful by God is how much we did works instead of the people when our job description is to equip them for good works. So we need to have our divine job description first and foremost when we're living out our week-to-week, day-to-day activities as pastors, that this is what our job is, is equipping others for the ministry. Interesting you use the word job description, John, because uh, that can really go into a pastor's uh, job description, a staff member's job description, that they are identified and expected to be a developer of people. So very often we end up being dots, doers of tasks, and not dops, developers of people. Uh, we actually wrote that into our job descriptions, that that's your calling, is uh, who are you developing, who are you raising up? Who are you mentoring? Who are you training? You know, and it certainly applies to every position uh, of leadership in the church. I remember my first uh, pastoral job as a youth pastor. Uh, for a while, I thought I was doing a good job. With older eyes, I realized I wasn't because as the youth pastor, it was just me who was investing in those teenagers. It was just me who was teaching those teenagers. It was just me who was discipling those church teenagers. I never raised up any volunteers. I never poured in anybody else. Um, I never duplicated myself or multiplied myself. I missed the boat in a real big way. And what opened my eyes was a couple of years later, I'd uh, moved out to uh, Vancouver and I was uh, going to a seminary there and we were looking for a church to attend. And we went to this church and the church was amazing. They had awesome worship, better than any worship I'd seen before. Uh, they had, uh, and this was 1996, so just give, giving you a sort of a time frame. They had uh, a coffee shop night with live music on Saturday nights with an espresso machine. And let me tell you, an espresso machine in 1996, that was cutting edge. <laughs> um, the church had a website and they had something, um, we call them blogs now, but back in the 90s, we called them zines. Uh, you know, like this was the most cutting edge, awesome church I'd ever seen in my life. And I was so excited to join this church and become a part of it. 
And then the summer intern is a guy named Mitch, finished his summer internship and then went back to Calgary um, to go back to Bible school. And in one week, everything that guy had built vanished. Mitch was the only one who knew how to run the espresso machine. Mitch was the one who was organizing Saturday nights. Mitch was the one who was leading the worship team. Mitch was the one who had designed the website. And after he was gone, the website expired and we don't have a website. Saturday night was canceled. Uh, the, the espresso machine was mothballed and the music warped right back into the 1970s. And everything he did vanished without a trace. And it was that which opened my eyes. I've been doing this wrong. Um, when I'm doing ministry instead of the people, everything's dependent on me. And if I leave or get hit by a bus, everything I touch will be gone without a trace. And if we want to have a lasting impact, that only comes by investing in others and raising up others. Pastor, please listen that your role, your, your, your job description is to develop the leaders around you. Make this a priority reach out. We can help you do this. This is not something I feel that a lot of pastors know how to do. They feel ill-equipped and therefore they do the work of the ministry because they don't know how to equip and release the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's okay. There are great books to read. There are great courses to take. There are great, great conversations that we can have that can help you fulfill that mandate. If you want to continue to see your church grow by and reach more people in your community, you must, hear me, you must develop the people around you to be leaders in your church. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us today. And thank you for joining us. Until next time.